Hello, my wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. Now, this is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God and faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. Now, this is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Gary, a minister to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church here in the beautiful city of Adelaide. It's really wonderful to be able to share with you once again. This week we're taking as our theme, what is Easter all about? And today we ask, did Jesus really exist? Today our co-host is Eric Horn. Eric ministers to the Adelaide Aboriginal Seventh-day Adventist Church. Welcome to you again, Eric. Thanks very much, Gary. It's a beautiful city and it's beautiful weather. Ah, uh, isn't it magic out there? I mean, I was out there walking under the light of a full moon this morning uh, and it was lo- It was about 18 degrees early in the morning. I got back before sunup and oh. uh, really, uh, really too beautiful. Uh, well, yesterday, um, I had my cousin hadn't seen for about 15 years visit me from Ballarat. He's a caterer, and he was over here doing one of the Jimmy Barnes uh, concerts. He actually caters for the for the uh, the performers plus the backstage about a about 120 people. And he was over here visiting, and um, uh, he's a Christian man. And uh, we went out for dinner last night. And I tell you what, when we came out of that restaurant, lovely restaurant we went to uh, down in North Adelaide, here, and there was a the moon was so huge last it night was, as, as it, it was, was rising. Yes. We looked at it and said, look at that. It was about twice the size. I, I, it was huge. It was. It was a big moon last night. That's, that's really true. Uh, tell me something. What, do you have any plans for Easter? Well, I was going to go to the um, the kite festival here in Adelaide. They have it here every year. But a little birdie told me just recently, that not too long ago actually, that it's actually <laughs> been cancelled. Uh, Is that dear. right? Oh, well, COVID, COVID seems to be putting putting pay to a lot, of good, uh, uh, a lot of good programming at the, at the present. Time. Tell me, how does your church uh, actually celebrate Easter? Well, we don't really um, um, celebrate as such. We we kind of usually have a theme of Easter, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, death and resurrection and and that sort of thing. But uh, other than that, you know, we we don't really do too much uh, too much with Easter. But um, no, we we remember what it's for, really, and uh, that's what it's all about, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's been mm. so tied up in the whole commercialisation yep. uh, that uh, to actually uh, emphasise what uh, you know the the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ yeah. is actually so so important. Well, it's interesting. Our Bible group we went through the actually it coincided with our study uh, talking about the Sabbath, about you know where one of the texts was talking about Good Friday. What happened on Good Friday, and uh, and that uh, Jesus died on the Friday. Uh, he was in the tomb on the Saturday, and he rose on the Sunday. And that to them was quite a revelation. Those days mm. where it actually goes through and and has each day picked out, you know, for each one. That was new to them. Some of them there. Okay, mm. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's really important to actually take that from the scriptures. Mm. Uh, I mean, Easter, of course, isn't mentioned in the no. scriptures. It does actually have pagan pagan origins, uh, but it is something that I know myself in my particular church this Sabbath. I'm actually going to be preaching on the resurrection of Jesus mm. Christ, Beautiful. and I'm going to be. Uh, talking about the subject, does the resurrection really matter? And I'd just love to invite anyone who hears in that here that is here in Adelaide, if you'd like to come to the uh, Brighton Seventh Day Adventist Church, Amelia Street, the Hove, uh, at eleven o'clock. Uh, please, I'd love to be able to meet you. Uh, and we're talking. You know, does the resurrection? actually matter uh, because this is so core uh, to the whole uh, Christian faith mm, and Easter eggs have been in the shops for quite a while now and I don't know what the, how that all came well out, I've been watching hot cross buns there since after, just after Christmas actually <laughs> but right. uh, anyway <laughs> 
True. It's really wonderful again to be able to have online Robert Payton. Now, Robert is currently the Disaster and Emergency Management Specialist with ADRA Australia. Now, last Wednesday, we, we chatted with Robert about the huge extent of the floods that have impacted so much of Eastern Australia. Uh, welcome to you, Robert. Yes, uh, Gary, look, it's great to uh, connect with you again. Again, have you had a busy week? It has been busy. Uh, the started to tail off probably yesterday. But yeah, it's been uh, pretty hectic because, you know, with no warning, you've got these floods, or there was a little bit of warning, but essentially you've got a normal workload, and then suddenly you've got this on top, and it becomes a priority. And so, uh, so yeah, it's, it certainly creates additional pressure, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, no, I can fully, fully believe that. Now, look, last week uh, when we were chatting, we were starting to see the last of the rain that flooded the East Coast. Uh, it almost seems to have dried up a little bit as well. Is that your perspective as well or no? It, it certainly is. And, I mean, this is a thing that happens following any any disaster that occurs. Uh, when it's the hot topic, everyone's really interested in it. Uh, it, it the media sort of uh, put it out there because, you know, they want an audience. They want to uh, attract attention. And then at a certain point, um, the excitement of it all is gone and it does start to tail off. I mean, there's still going to be some stories that will go on about, you know, the hardship or the difficulties and challenges people are facing, but it's the usual thing to drop off fairly quickly. I'm amazed at how quickly it's actually fallen off. Certainly down here, I'm, we're not hearing a great deal about uh, about the floods. And the, the floods only concluded about a week ago when things started to actually dry up. But look, tell us, what are the greatest clean-up challenges at this time from, from your perspective? The, the greatest thing really is just the sheer magnitude of the cleanup that needs to be done. Uh, you know, with the uh, floodwaters uh, receding, uh, it means access is easier to get in. Um, and then it's just, you've got a huge volume of people who are wanting the assistance. They need that cleanup straight away. The other thing that we're finding uh, is the challenges of disposing of all the goods. The, uh, uh, the local government has been sort of uh, very good at waiving some of the fees that uh, people pay when you've got to you know, go to the uh, rubbish dumps as yeah. such, um, the waste areas. Uh, but we're finding that uh, there's a lot of uh, congestion, shall we say, uh, that the uh, facilities are overwhelmed because just the sheer volume of people wanting to get rid of all the stuff that has uh, been you know, damaged and is not uh, salvageable, basically. And that would be the biggest thing. It's just the congestion and access to the places where you can actually uh, uh, get rid of uh, the goods. Wow. Did, did I actually hear that the army has actually been brought in to assist with the cleanup? That, that's correct. They, they have. Okay. And so along with the army, there's the SES. Uh, I know rural fire service also have been out there uh, assisting communities. And then there's a lot of volunteers from organised groups such as churches and that, that are going out and assisting with the cleanup as well. Okay, okay. Well, look, tell us, what projects are ADRA most directly involved with at, at this time? There's a couple of uh, key areas that they are working in. One is the um, assisting with cleanup. And uh, so it's usually in the local area around a ch where a church is. Uh, the members of that church, they know which people have been affected, who need the assistance in their community, so they help with that cleanup. Um, the other is uh, people have, you know, got some hardship now. They've lost things. They've, uh, you know, lost 
um, refrigerators, that sort of thing, and they need access to food, which is you know an essential uh, thing mm-hmm. for us to you know have each day. Yeah. And so we're finding that there is uh, food packages that we need to make available. Uh, there's food pantries that we have normally uh, running in some locations uh, just to help those uh, you know assist people in need in normal times. And we're finding that the demand for those food packages has increased. Uh, there was one particular uh, food pantry. Uh, they've got an additional 20 families as a direct result of the uh, floods that have now come in to receive some assistance with uh, uh, food packages. The particular projects that you're supporting. Now, last week you you mentioned that you were uh, giving uh, financial assistance where you, where you could uh, and also projects that local churches... Uh, you were supporting those as well. Now, has there been any development? I mean, how much a call has there been for financial assistance? There has been a call for financial assistance and uh, we're making the, those transfers uh, uh, right as I speak, basically. Um, I must be honest, the demand wasn't quite as high as we expected, but then often what will happen is people are still in somewhat of a state of shock. They're still trying to sort out exactly what the impact has been, and we don't put a time limit on this. So you know, we're expecting that we'll probably see a further increase in this over the coming weeks. Um, with, regards, with regards to local churches and the projects, let me share with you just a, a simple example of uh, how a church can actually become engaged in their community. I would just focus on one particular family sure. unit, if you like. Um, there's an elderly gentleman. He's 91 years of age, mm-hmm. and uh, he lives with his son, who's 44 years of age, who has uh, special needs. And so this 91-year-old is essentially the carer for his son, and they had uh, flooding that went through. This is in Western Sydney, uh, somewhere between Penrith and Windsor, where mm-hmm. this occurred. And the water was about a half a metre deep in the uh, house. I mean, that's just affected all of their, you know, their the goods basically in there, damaged them in some way. And, of course, because of the uh, age of the gentleman and the uh, special needs of his son, they really needed some assistance there. And so church members became aware of this. They then rallied together. Last Sunday, they were there in the home of this gentleman and looking at what they could salvage, cleaning out, uh, taking away all those things that couldn't be salvaged. Now, in addition to that, and I think this is where that service that comes through, mm. that uh, the the son, uh, sorry, gentleman and his son, they were provided with emergency accommodation, but it was only for five days. They were not able to go back into the uh, house that they'd been living in, which was actually a rental property, and they've got to wait for the landlord to sort that out. And they were struggling to find somewhere. So the uh, one of the elders within the church has taken them into their home to actually provide them with some temporary accommodation to support and assist them as they further work through trying to seek assistance from the government and other sources. And so this is where, you know, church members can, in their communities, be a really very valuable source of assistance to people that are in need. Yeah, this is this to me is the incredible benefit of, of ADRA. What ADRA has actually got there is uh, not just the ability to be able to give financial assistance, but also this ability to be able to recruit a huge number of volunteers, which, of course, volunteers are basically cost-free, and those volunteers are able to do uh, the work of, uh, of 
of of many people because they do come together in teams. You know, I I really appreciate that uh, the ability because so often we t- when we talk of a aid agency, you know, somebody like like Adra, we talk in terms of okay, giving financial assistance, but it's that a feet on the ground that really makes the uh, the significant difference, isn't it? Oh, most definitely. I mean, Adra couldn't do this on their own. The church may struggle somewhat, you know, financially, and I think this is where it's a complementary relationship, partnership that comes together, and we can actually work to be far more effective in assisting the community and those who are in need. Okay, yeah, no, look, I I love the way those two come together. In fact, to me, I've got huge, uh, huge regard for uh, certainly those organisations that come with a solid uh, volunteer base. Tell me, are there any churches that have received particular funding from you at this particular point in time? Yes, there are churches in Western Sydney that have received some funding from ADRA for the programs that they're implementing. I should add that, you know, although the primary focus is more around cash because that is far more flexible, shall we say, and can better meet the unique needs of individuals, but we're also blessed in having uh, some uh, uh, corporate organisations also uh, supporting us. For example, Sanitarium Health Food Company, they've made donations of uh, food products which then go into those uh, uh, food packages that we're pulling together and that just stretches the dollar further, uh, shall we say. We've also got uh, some church members who, uh, when they've seen, for instance, the unique needs of this 91-year-old and his son, uh, there was one particular donor who said, look, I've got some clothing, I've got some bedding that is new that I can actually uh, give uh, to uh, you know, help them out. So it's, I guess, from many sources and uh, that we're actually able to pull together yeah. and actually meet those needs of people. I'm really glad that you actually mentioned sanitarium because... Of course, the Santarum is actually owned by the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and uh, it's yeah. almost a, a wonderful little linkage that uh, ADRA's got here. You know, ADRA, of course, is the, I suppose, the organisational arm. Uh, then you've got the financial uh, funds come into to ADRA. There are there are volunteers that work on the ground, uh, and then you've got the support of uh, Sanitarium as well. It makes for a really uh, large team of people who are able to make a really big uh, impact on the uh, on any disaster in many different uh, places uh, within Australia. If people are wanting to support ADRA, how do they do that again? There's a number of ways that they can actually uh, provide support. I, I believe that it's, you know God is all powerful, and we need God at times like this. So yeah. there are people who maybe aren't able to give anything, but they can be prayer warriors. And I think that's really important, praying for those who are are still responding, those who have been affected. And we mentioned earlier that this moves out of the media pretty quickly, but the impact on people lasts for years, and often that is lost. You know, that is not just short-term, because it's gone out of the media doesn't mean to say that it's gone. That's so, so important, yeah. you, know, you know, Robert. I, can I just say that is just so important what you've actually said there because uh, I know that, you know, certainly members from my church down here in uh, in Adelaide, uh, some months after the bushfires went through, they were still going out, uh, working with uh, local land property owners uh, in the restoration of fences and, uh, and buildings that the fire had actually swept through. You know, the media had long forgotten about 
about the reality of uh, the fire disaster, uh, and yet uh, the church members, I know from my own church, were still going up. They were still uh, impacting the lives. They were assisting people who badly needed assistance, and I'm really pleased that you've actually shared that with us. Um, coming back to you know how people can sort of help, so you know prayer I believe is really important, yeah. and the other is the volunteers. We've spoken about you know how churches are providing volunteers, and so if you've got some time, you've got some skills. Talk to, you know, uh, those who in your church may be organizing some assistance. There's also a website, uh, where for within each state there is a, uh, volunteer, uh, group that you can actually even register on there and join other groups of volunteers rather than, you know, uh, looking at how you may be able to do it individually. Joining a group with this strength and getting together yeah. with like-minded people. Yeah. The next thing is, uh, you can make a cash donation mm. and cash is really important. I mean, like we give these grants to people, they, these are emergency cash grants and we can't give those without people donating some funds. Yeah. And this can be done via the ADRA uh, website. Uh, that's www.adra.org.au and uh, on there you'll find a donation button. Click on that and then uh, click on another button which says for disasters and that means the money you give will go directly to this response and also uh, for other disasters that might be happening in the future so that we can respond before we even get the donations yeah. in. It's so important, isn't it, to actually have those funds ready to go so that uh, there's a disaster, we're able to start assisting people straight away. Oh, most definitely. I mean, people need help right away. They can't wait until the funds come yeah. in. Robert, really appreciate all that ADRA is doing. I, I'm really thankful for the work that you're doing, uh, for the impact that you're making. There's so many wonderful volunteers that I know of uh, that work for, for ADRA. Uh, Robert, thank you so much for this interview today. That was uh, Robert Payton. Uh, Robert's currently the uh, Disaster and Emergency Management Specialist with ADRA Australia. I was able to talk to him earlier this afternoon. A really fantastic guy. These guys do a marvellous job. I'm so impressed with the uh, uh, the volunteers, not just of ADRA, but with so many volunteer organisations. Uh, they really make a huge, a huge difference. And uh, if you'd like to assist ADRA in some way, uh, please go onto their website, www.adra.org. Uh, .org.au and uh, and they can uh, accept your, your donation and they know exactly where these people are that uh, really need a hand and that'll go directly to them. Let's have some uh, some music. Uh, this uh, this week we're, we're talking uh, about uh, uh, Easter and we're using some, uh, some Easter-themed uh, music. This is Tammy Larson. I love uh, to tell the story. Tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, a 
Tammy Larson. I love to tell the story. We've got a free gift, a free giveaway for you this week. Uh, love uh, to be able to share this with you. This book is entitled, this is just a little book. This is just uh, uh, 70 or 80 pages, not a big book. Uh, the book's called Amazing Grace. Uh, our gift to you uh, for this particular Christmas season. Uh, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. Um, just imagine two loving parents holding their baby for the very first time. Now try and imagine uh, what they would do if their little one was snatched away from them by a kidnapper, determined to destroy the world eternally. If we can understand how a parent would feel, perhaps we can begin to understand the desperation that God felt to get his children back. Uh, The story of his plan of redemption is narrated from Genesis to Revelation, and it tells of that rescue plan. It's actually a great big picture that's painted in the scriptures. It's carried in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible was written to announce that plan, and the very central part of that plan is, of course, course, the Christ event and all that Christ did. Uh, this book is entitled Amazing, Ga- Amazing Grace. You'll really love this particular book. Look, if you'd like a copy of Amazing Grace, our gift for you uh, this Easter, then please just text to us uh, your name, your address, your telephone number, and just the book Amazing Grace, and just text uh, us here at our studio uh, text number. That's 04888. 80811. That's 04-888-80811. We'd love uh, to be able to share that um, uh, that book with you. Also, if you've got any any comments, any questions, any requests for a, for a song this uh, this Easter season, please feel free to also uh, text us in on that same number. Uh, we do love to hear. And thank you so much to those of you. If you don't want your uh, request broadcast, that's absolutely fine. We do uh, uh, respond to a number of people. Uh, quite privately if you've got uh, something you'd like us to pray for please feel free to send that in to us we're happy to uh, to respond to you privately if you'd like us to to do that uh, that uh, book again is amazing grace and uh, uh, that phone number and that uh, text number is oh four triple eight eight oh eight Eleven. Uh, you're listening to Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A with Pastor Gary, and today our co-host is Eric Hoare, and Eric ministers to the Adelaide Aboriginal Seventh-day Adventist Church. This week we're taking as our theme, what is Easter all about? And today we ask, did Jesus, uh, did he really exist? It was a number of years before, the, before COVID struck that I actually had the very real privilege of visiting Jerusalem. I recall a walking through King Hezekiah's tunnel. This is an amazing uh, experience. Uh, walking through in knee-deep uh, water, uh, I had to, to bend over in the pitch dark uh, just with a flashlight uh, just to be able to see your way. It goes for about a kilometre and a half. Half it comes out in the Pool of Siloam. Uh, where Jesus uh, worked one of his one of his miracles, I recall at that same time sitting on the Mount of Olives, having worship, uh, walking the Via della Rosa, uh, visiting the traditional site of Golgotha and the Garden Tomb. Uh, the, these experiences really said something to me. They actually had an incredible impact on me. Uh, yet so much heritage is there, and yet it's all predicated on the belief, of course, that Jesus actually existed. Now I believe there's huge evidence to uh, to back that up. But there are some today that question whether Jesus 
actually existed. Eric, how would you actually respond uh, to that whole question? Did, did Jesus actually exist? Well, Pastor Gary, you know, I have never been to the Holy Land, so that must have been a real thrill. Oh, it was marvellous. It was marvellous. And I'd encourage any of our listeners, if ever you get the opportunity to go to Jerusalem, uh, please, you know, once in your life, I understand the concept of pilgrimage now. I hadn't gone on a pilgrimage, but Mm. it was so good to go with a group of pastors to Jerusalem uh, and just to experience some of those those places. And it's interesting we look at, uh, if you know, about Jesus, his life, and uh, if he was actually a real person or not and tonight we we look and look at three different lots of evidences one from the scriptures some mm-hmm. evidence from the scripture but we can't be biased because we you and I are Christians looking at this so we're going to look at also the some little bit of archaeology evidence there mm-hmm. as well plus also what some writers have said outside of the Bible people who weren't Jews who okay. what they actually wrote back in the time of when Jesus was alive. And that's a, that's actually really important, actually, mm. because uh, uh, yeah, I, I know that there are so many who depreciate for for no good reason uh, the scriptures. But yeah, thank yeah, you for this. There's three of those. So first of all, it's interesting that while billions of people around the world do believe that Jesus of Nazareth was one of the most important people in history, uh, there was also uh, a lot of people who reject him and uh, said that either he wasn't the Messiah, or he never existed. And it's interesting that when they did a survey in the Church uh, of England, for instance, conducted by the Church of England, they actually um, they conducted a survey by the Church of England uh, in England, and 22% of people uh, in England believed at that time in the survey they did that Jesus did not exist, 22. So nearly a quarter of people okay. were interviewed. And that's within that. the church? Uh, no, this was, uh, I might have put that a little bit wrong, but it was by the Church of England. They conducted the survey just just from people going by in England. Okay. Uh, just okay. from those. So that yep. was the, what was taken. And it's interesting that um, when you look at it, we first of all have to go to the Bible with the time we've got left. And one of the things that really, to me, is strong evidence is actually Matthew 1 when it talks about all the begats that we have, the genealogy of Christ. Mm. So it actually starts off with um, the son. It talks about the son of Abraham. So it starts off at Abraham, mm-hmm. and then you've got all the begats, which uh, takes a bit of getting through to, but it goes through 14 generations mm-hmm. till it gets down to the time of Christ. Now, I don't know about you, Pastor Gary, but for me, um, knowing all that about my relatives, man, this is more evidence here than I have actually can understand about my own relatives. And, yeah. and we've looked back and done some uh, family um you know, history and the family tree. But this here is like going through all these names and things to me actually details in depth his actual relatives going right back to the beginning of time, mm. beginning of time, which to me is strong evidence that there that Jesus does exist. Well, what you've actually got there is certainly a Matthew, and of course Matthew was a tax collector. He was actually a trained person. He was a person that could obviously write. Uh, he's written. He's written the gospel, and he's actually written uh, concerning Jesus. Ex- Expecting people to understand that Jesus was a real person that existed in his era. Mm. And to me, that's actually really significant. Yes, and because he's detailed all of Jesus' background, I mean, you could check out all these names and things that are down here in Matthew 1, 
to end up with the with the birth of Jesus because he goes on in verse 18 talking about how Christ was born and it goes through there right through the chapter. But at the beginning here, this is to me, is, is uh, there's actually more proof here than and some of the things that are written in the Bible and, and the evidence that we're going to look at tonight, more evidence that even he was, he's got more things that we we can say he was real than Napoleon or even Julius Caesar. There's more written about Jesus, both in the Bible and outside the Bible, that gives us more evidence of him than actually was written about Julius Caesar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and a lot of people actually don't realize that, that um, both the, the Bible itself is actually significant textual evidence. You know, one of the things I'm so conscious of um, uh, there is that people sometimes say, oh, that's what the Bible is saying. And yet the reason we've actually got the Bible is because passed down through us on uh, papyrus and manuscripts through archaeological history, and we've got some incredibly old scrolls that actually back up the New Testament. Uh, And these, these scrolls were copied and recopied and 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 sent to so many different areas throughout Christianity. And it means that we've got the ability to be able to compare. Now, one of the things that I'm really conscious of is, you know, I'm actually not I'm I actually don't go to that much effort if what I'm saying is not actually correct. In fact, Eric, one of the things I suppose I'm conscious of is that we've actually got a group of people in New Testament days who chose to die Mm. for the beliefs that they held. Mm. Um, You know, to me, this this says to me, hey, something that I'm prepared to die for has to be something that has got a fair amount of substance actually connected to it. Yes, you'd have to have a real belief, wouldn't you? You wouldn't die for something that you only half believed or quarter believed. You'd have yeah. to fully believe yeah. in that. And that's the other thing too is uh, not only that, but also the scribes and the Pharisees who who were, were trying to get rid of Jesus really, who didn't see him as the Messiah, they never said he didn't exist. They, they just said that he was of the devil or whatever, you know, and they didn't actually – Say that he didn't exist. It exist, which and isn't. that is really important, Eric. Because mm. you know, sometimes your friends might frame what they want to present in a positive manner, but your enemies don't do that. No, <laughs> and Jesus actually had an incredible amount of enemies mm. in. In his life, you know, it would have been so easy uh, for them to have responded in the first century and to have simply said, why are you going on about this man? He never existed. But they never said that. No, and they would have had plenty of spies following him around, trying to trip him up. We read in the scriptures many times when they tried to trip him up on the law, and he had so much wisdom. I mean, to me, that's another bit of evidence that he only he had divine wisdom because yeah. the way he answered them and the way he treated people, they had no answer. They had to turn away many times, and they, it made them more angry because yeah. he was he was he was um, stopping them every time by his wisdom. But they were trying to trap and you imagine having somebody following you around all the time yeah. when you're doing good trying to pull you down and yeah. that's another thing as well but one of the big things to me is is a little bit of archaeology evidence because in Luke chapter 3 it actually the Bible gives us where we can pinpoint uh, people in time uh, and in Luke 3 it re- starts in the beginning it says in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea many people didn't believe that actually 
Pontius Pilate actually existed. Yeah. You know, he gives us names. He gives us – you can actually work back in history yeah. and see the dates that we're actually talking about here. And um, Cephas, the, the high priest, and it's interesting to me that um, they actually found um, some evidence – in archaeology, uh, and the first was that they found that Pontius Pilate was found, his name was found in a monument in Caesarea in, in April uh, in Israel in 1961. They actually found a monument with Pontius Pilate's name written on it. Mm. The second one then came in 1990 in, Jer- in Jerusalem of an ossuary, and an uh, ossuary is um, a little a limestone box that carried uh, used to carry the bones, and it says it bared the name of um, Caphias, the high priest who condemned Jesus. And then the next one that came to light was a really interesting one. It was a, 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 an Austria box that came to light. This one bearing the name of Jesus, James, and Joseph, three of the most prominent people in the New Testament. The ancient Aramaic words inscribed on the limestone box state that it belonged to James, son of Joseph, brother of Jesus. Mm. So there we go. There's the connection with the family, and there's Jesus' name actually on the box itself. And and this is something that when the New Testament can actually quote names, mm. that for many years people said, oh, that fellow didn't actually exist. And then all of a sudden through uh, archaeology, what you find is uh, evidence that these people did exist. You're then able to actually go back and look at the dates of their reign. And all of a sudden what you discover is that the New Testament is actually quoting things that uh, are actually uh, – able to be verified in history. And that, to me, becomes a very powerful, powerful evidence. But, look, I'm just wondering. I'm conscious that our time is starting to run away from us. Look, what about outside the Bible? You know, is there anything there that, you know, I mean, people sometimes depreciate the Bible and say, oh, look, you know, I mean, that's just just the Bible. But what about people outside of it? Yeah, well, um, many of the people listening would know of Josephus, and his name was Flavius Josephus. Uh, he wrote one of the most earliest non-biblical accounts of Jesus. He was a first-century Jewish, Jewish historian, uh, and he had he was the best source of information about the first-century Palestine. And he mentions mentions Jesus in the Jewish Iniquities. It's a massive twenty-volume history of the Jewish people. It was written around about ninety-three AD, and in it he writes there he refers to um, James, the brother of Jesus, who was called Christ. Mm-hmm. So it actually mentions his name in there, yeah. and he mentions James as well. He also talks about now there was um, there was a time this time Jesus, a wise man, if it is be lawful to call him a man, for he was one who wrought surprising feats. He was the Christ. He appeared to them alive again the third day, as the divine prophet had foretold these and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him. So here is a right outside of the Bible confirming the Bible writers as well. And, and, of he, co- and, of course, this particular fellow, um, Flavius Josephus, mm. jo- Josephus was not a was not a Christian. No. And, you know, one of the things that really jumps out at me is sometimes when uh, those people who are individuals who aren't supporting the cause that you're barracking for, when they start to say, this person actually 
existed and that's that's what he is saying and he makes a few other comments there now there is part of that uh, that particular comment that some of the uh, some of the um, commentators suggest may have been inserted later but that's certainly not true for the entire statement the majority of that statement is believed to be incredibly authentic uh, what you've got here is a a person who doesn't accept Christianity he's a Roman historian mm. of the first century and he writes about Jesus Christ yes and you can link him up through the family like he's talking about James's brother so you know that this is the Jesus that we're talking about today because it's linked up there another one too is by a, a uh, this was uh, another account of Jesus it appeared in the annuals of Imperial Rome uh, a first century history of the Roman Empire written around about 160 AD by a Roman senator yep. uh, and historian Tacteus and in chronicling the burning of Rome in 64 AD Tacteus mentions that Emperor Nero falsely blamed the persons called commonly called Christians who are hated by their enemies and then it mentions Christus which is another name for Christ yeah. the founder of the name was put to death by Pontius Pilate procreator of Judah in the reign of Tiberius but so here we have near that that Tacteus did not have any Christian bias in his discussion. He's just recording the facts as he saw it. Yeah. He has written this down as as an emperor of Rome, yeah. which a general of Rome, which is really incredible. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's when you see this. This is one of the most significant statements that certainly comes out of uh, the new, the early uh, New Testament era. It's it's a statement that is actually quite astounding because when a when a general, somebody in a Authority, someone who doesn't actually like Christians writes down a, a significant statement about Christ. You've got to turn around and say, hey, this is fairly significant evidence that uh, Jesus Christ did actually exist. Mm. And, you know, one of the big things to me, I don't know if you've heard of a, an atheist turned Christian, Lee Strobel. You'd know yeah, Lee Strobel. yeah, yeah, no, this is an excellent book. Yeah, he writes uh, a number of books. He's actually written around about mm, t- more than 20 books. But he, his classic, The Case for Christ, he actually shut himself in a room. He was an atheist. Yeah. And uh, he, he went out to prove or disprove and he came to the evidence that Christ was real and if you ever get hold or haven't read the book The Case for Christ it's actually his conversion as well yeah, what actually yeah. happened to him and it, it's got amazing he couldn't fault it he went to uh, different people to different scholars in the new uh, that uh, were studying the New Testament and he and he really went through it and he, he came to find that the information in there was a historically reliable information backed up through history and what they've found in archaeology, it all tied together. And now he's a strong Christian, yeah. yeah and he yeah. was an atheist. This has actually been made into a, into a movie. Now, I haven't actually seen the movie, but oh, I'm right. told that it's, a, uh, it's really worth um, a watch. In fact, it's the sort of movie that, you know, being, being Easter, that, you know, you may like to, I'm sure it's possible to, to download somewhere. Uh, this is the case for Christ is what, it, is what it's actually, uh, actually called. And, uh, this story of the, uh, of this journalist who, uh, try, whose wife actually became a, a Christian, uh, which greatly annoyed him. So he decided to research, uh, what the evidence was. He was an investigator. Investigative journalist, and after his investigation, 
he came to the conclusion that, well, I'd better become a Christian too because this has got substance to it. Um, you know, to me, as I look at that, that's actually an incredibly powerful uh, story. It certainly backs up everything that's in the New Testament. Mm. And when you read through the scriptures and you see the evidence there, you know, the people that saw him and the interaction, uh, the way Jesus behaved and acted, uh, you, no doubt that he was a, he's the son of God and that his, his life portrayed... Um, uh, the Father's will, and that's what it's all about. He came at the right time back in Isaiah 53. It talked there about uh, the Messiah, when he would come and how he would come, and that he would be put to death. He would make his grave with the wicked and the rich and the dead. He had done no violence. There was no deceit in his mouth. And it says there that um, that it pleased the Lord to bruise him, uh, put him to grief, and that he was actually, he lost his life. So way back even in the Old Testament, it talks there about uh, predicting the time when Christ, the Messiah, would come. And here it's been fulfilled exactly the right time. We see him uh, appearing on the scene and predicted in the Old Testament. Uh, and there's many, many prophetic things written about him that have taken place. His bones wouldn't be broken. This is was Jesus on the cross. So there's many things that all line up. And you'd think there would be many contradictions if Christ was not real, if, uh, if he was uh, claiming to be who he wasn't well then surely there would be some some things in there but people have studied it and looked at it those that want to study it have looked at it and they cannot many of the many historians say no this many theologians say no christ is real Oh yeah, 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 yeah. No in fact, it's it's almost a hundred percent. I mean, there's mm. certainly significant um, disagreement about uh, how Christ should be regarded. You know, is mm. Jesus Christ the Son of God? There's certainly mm. debate about that that particular issue. Um, but the thing which is uh, generally accepted across the board is, in fact, uh, the fact that Jesus Christ uh, lived. Uh, he did come. Uh, he Hey, a man, Jesus Christ, who was able to do a supernatural things, uh, actually did exist about 2,000 years ago. And it's amazing that today, you know, the Bible is still one of the best sellers yeah. around the world, yeah. you know. Yeah. And if, yeah. if it was false and if it, was, if it had been pulled to pieces, we wouldn't have that today. So I think there's, there's strong evidence. For this. All right. Look, let's come to some, some music. This is Anna Weatherup. Uh, love this particular uh, rendition of Because He Lives. God sent his son They called him Jesus He came to love Heal and forgive He lived and died To buy my pardon Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know, yes, I know, he owns the future. And life is a word. 
Because he lives. We've got a free offer for you today. The offer is uh, the book called Amazing Grace. Uh, this is our gift for you at uh, at Easter. This is just uh, 60 or 70 pages. It's not a big book. Uh, it's, uh, it's written uh, by uh, uh, Elizabeth Talbot. And uh, it, it speaks about uh, the grace that God uh, provided to this world when he sent his son. Uh, you'll love uh, this particular book called Amazing Grace. If you'd like your own copy of Amazing Grace, just 60 or 70 pages, uh, please text us here at the at the studio. That's uh, 04 808 11. That's 04 808 11. Uh, and we'd love to be able to hear from you. And thank you so much for those of you who have sent in um, some uh, uh, some personal comments at the uh, at the present time. It is uh, it is appreciated. Uh, Welcome back. Uh, you're listening to uh, Faith FM Drive Time. Big Q&A with Pastor Gary. Today our co-host is Eric Hoare. Eric ministers to the Adelaide Aboriginal uh, Seventh-day Adventist Church. And this week we're taking as our theme, what's Easter 
all about. And today we ask, uh, did Jesus uh, really exist? Eric, uh, bring it all together for us. We've got about uh, five or six minutes. Well, I think we need to go to First Corinthians, which is so important. And verse 3 of chapter 15, it says, and this is Paul talking, it says here, For what I received I passed on to you as of the first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of Mm. the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. And so it's talking here about that he actually appeared uh, after his death to 500 people who witnessed that, as Mm. well as all these others. Isn't that amazing? That's and when you actually see witnesses, mm. that's why Paul is actually putting in that particular passage that mm. there are people who have seen Jesus Christ after he had actually raised from the dead. Now, of course, tomorrow we're going to be talking about this issue of the resurrection. Did it actually happen? But one of the things that really stands out to me here is what we've got is the Apostle Paul actually speaking about this. Now, the Apostle Paul, for those who you know don't know the story, I mean, he was persecuting the church. Yes, I mean, right. he was a, a person who was being commissioned by the, uh, by the Pharisees uh, to actually go and uh, lock up those who were believers Mm. and yet somewhere along the line a bright light that according to his own testimony he says it shone from heaven and a voice spoke to me from heaven now you know to me to go from being a persecutor of the church on one hand to the next day starting to preach about the reality of Jesus Christ something happened mm. something changed his mind and this is the the great miracle of Jesus isn't it that he came into Paul's life and and changed him from from a persecuting killing the Christians to somebody who fully believed and went out and witnessed and actually gave his life for the cause you know he yeah. was one that yeah. ended up yeah. Uh, yeah. in a horrible death but you know to me it he start he, he the, the witnesses in the Bible are testimonies of Jesus Christ. And you and I, Gary, and the listeners can testify that Jesus is alive through his workings in our own life, yeah. that he has changed us and keeps on changing us, that he's yeah. taken us from where we were. This is the greatest evidence to me that Jesus is still alive today, is yeah. the fact that we are still changing, that the, what we used to believe, we don't believe anymore. Some of the things I used to do, I don't want to go back there. I, I no longer believe in that. And to see people change and the way that this happened to Paul and you still see it today is the greatest evidence to me that Jesus is alive and Jesus exists. To me, that's the, that's the really exciting thing because I certainly also have seen hmm. so many people's lives turned literally upside down through the teaching of Jesus Christ, through the preaching of Jesus Christ. There is a, there is a spirit, there is something that changes people's hearts. And the words that Jesus used in the Bible here still, still happens today, that people have that power through the word. 
to actually change their lives. Yeah. Once they start reading this, and, and like um, you know, this author did, that he was changed. He, he was an atheist. He didn't believe, and then he, he came to believe. This is the great power in the word that Jesus can change anybody and do it. And to me, the greatest evidence is his word. And his word is alive in Jesus. It's alive in the Bible. And, and we feel him. We know he's present because he lives within us. Yeah. That's yeah, the greatest yeah. evidence. You, you know, one of the, we need to, bring it together but you know i'm so conscious you know the practical implications for humanity you know what we've got in the new testament and what we've got in the extra biblical authors is descriptions of a supernatural jesus mm. now if in fact there is a supernatural jesus and i certainly believe that uh, that is certainly been established time and time again in the scriptures in extra biblical sources and in my own life um then what does that mean for our living today? How can we apply that uh, to our living day to day? Well, it means everything because it means that Jesus, through the Father, created the world, that, that he made us. And here we have a difference that separates the Christians from the rest of the world who don't believe in that way of creation. So here we've got a, a God, a G, and the Son of God came to the earth. And so we see a great power here that is available to everybody that is uh, is the way things should have been right from the beginning. Yeah. That he takes us back to that Garden of Eden in our own lives gives us that peace and comfort he takes us there now we can be there now and this is the whole thing that that uh, that Jesus wants is that the people of the world today will turn to him and not follow the ways of the world the way the devil is structuring the world today that they can have that peace that's the whole objectivity of of what Jesus came for he came to save people out of their burdens and their sin he came to bring them life and happiness and and to give them a, a great hope and it's more than a hope, it's a reality that he is yeah. coming back again. There is actually a supernatural power there because yeah. that's what Jesus actually spoke about. You know, when he left, he said, I'm sending you a comforter. I'm sending you a, you know, another comforter. And of course, he was referring to the work of the Holy Spirit because mm. when the Spirit comes, what he does is he puts into the mind of the individual the mind of Jesus Christ. So he starts to think in a different way. Mm. Uh, a change in life is actually possible because of the work of the Holy Spirit, because of the way that the the mind and the heart of the individual can actually be transformed. You know, I, I think this is so important. This is actually the you know heart and core. The fact that Jesus existed leaves me with incredible hope. Well, we've looked at the evidences, haven't we? We've looked at the Bible. We've looked at the writers outside, some of them Roman. We've also looked at archaeology and tying that all together, you know. And to me, I reckon that when Jesus does what he does and when he comes, he's come here to save us, the big thing is, is that, you know, we feel him in his, our lives. We know that he is alive and that he is going to come again. And yeah. when we experience that in our lives, to go on to that power that Jesus gives us, he doesn't give us what we, many mm. times what we ask for, even though we're his sons and daughters in Christ, he gives us what he knows is best for us. Indeed, indeed. Let's pray together. Yeah. Father in heaven, Lord, we come to you right now. We want to say thank you for being our Lord and our God. Lord, thank you so much uh, for sending the Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. Thank you for his death. 
burial, you know, resurrection. Lord, thank you for the way he's uh, provided power for transformed lives today. I just pray that you'd be with any of our listeners. Lord, if there's any who are struggling right now, I pray that you'd be with that particular mm-hmm. individual. I pray that you might descend on them by your Holy Spirit, that you might uh, indeed touch them, that they might know that you are standing there uh, very close to them. We just ask, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, folks, it does look like our time's up for today. Thank you so much for joining Pastor Gary and Eric Hoare on Drive Time Big Q&A. Please join us tomorrow when I share with Pastor David Butcher and ask, did the resurrection really happen? And does it matter anyway? Really look forward to seeing you. But until then, please remember Christ said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give isn't like the peace that the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. May our God uh, richly bless you. Please enjoy Eddie Espinona at Change My Heart, O oh God. Change my heart, O oh God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, O oh Change my heart, oh.